My guest today is the CEO of a sales consulting firm that promises to challenge traditional sales and consulting models and create a new standard for sales excellence. Prior to founding his own business, he served as VP of Sales and Success and Sales Operations for Glassdoor, Head of Sales and Customer Service for Chartbeat and VP of Sales at Yelp. Described by a colleague as the best sales leader he ever worked for, he has complete control in all sales and leadership situations and is always performing at his peak level. He is a driven, intelligent, remarkable man who truly cares about the lives he impacts through his leadership. Jake Dunlap, you're very welcome to the podcast. I need to hire you to be my, my hype man. I, that, I love that intro. That was great. It's on your LinkedIn. I didn't have to look very far. <laughs> well, the, it was read with a, a, uh, a passion that, you know, a good hype man needs. That was fantastic. Well, I'm sure I'm it was written with that as well. I'm sure it was written that, that as well. <laughs> uh, you made it really easy. I love when I go on LinkedIn of guests and you have 20, 30 recommendations and people go in and it's a great way to start. I have done a few where you go in and there's nothing there and you go on faith and there's nothing. So, so, so thank you for that. You made it a little very easy for me. All right, good. Tell me, it said in, in, on, on your website that uh, your, your business is one where you challenge traditional sales models, consulting models, and, and I want to understand what, what, what you consider traditional to be. Yeah, I mean, we can we can get into some of this, um, and you know, I can kind of I can go deeper on certain areas if, if we want to follow up. So, when I think about the 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 status quo, as we could say, one, I'll start with consulting. You know, I, for me, the reason I started the company to start with um, was I had worked with consultants at multiple companies, and at the end, end of an engagement, I was left with this you know beautiful fifty page document. And I'm like, what, what, the, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> like, how do I, okay, now I need to like work to get done. And what I realized is most consulting is actually focused on getting to a set of recommendations to then charge as many billable hours as possible and, and thought that, look, what most companies actually need is a mix of strategy, but they also need tactical execution support. And so really with our engagements, a vast majority of our engagements, you know, and almost all our engagements, it's, there's never just an assessment project. It's always actually getting work done because we don't want to see things live in a digital, uh, collect digital dust, which is what happens whenever, you know, traditional consulting comes in. And it's why we beat out, you know, the Accenture's or Oliver Wyman's or McKinsey's of the world in certain large engagements because companies want something that, that feels customized to their business and is action focused. Um, and, and on the sales side, it's, customer behavior is changing at a speed that we have never seen. And many traditional sales models are one, most, a lot of companies, and I'm talking successful companies, have never really mapped their end-to-end -end customer journey because the roles are all so siloed. They've got like an SDR journey, they've got a sales development journey, they've got a sales journey, they've got a customer success journey, an account management journey, but they're not built from the customer. What's the optimal experience for the customer to move them through as effectively and efficiently as possible, right? Both for their sake and for yours. And so I feel like the, the future that we're moving to, there's really two big trends, which is one is around collaboration, that, that the role of sales is truly going to have to be, uh, have to have a higher IQ and be more collaborative, meaning buyers are coming to the table. It's like whenever you go to buy a house now or you go to buy a car where you usually have more information than the salesperson you're talking to. 
And that, that trend is coming to B2B. There is absolutely no doubt that we will get there and that that is coming. Um, and so that means what people are going to want from salespeople is also different. You know, that mm. it's going to be the best of the best skills uh, around. You want someone who knows the right questions to ask, who knows how to assess an opportunity and, and not an opportunity, but, you know, in a truly consultative manner. And then is so knowledgeable in the industry and the competition that they can really guide the customer. And so... You know, when it comes to consulting or, or sales, those are those are you know kind of the, the reasons I started the company and what I'm most excited about about where sales is headed. So, what do, what are the typical typical problems that you're brought in to solve? And part B of that is why can't your clients, not yours specifically, but why can't clients solve them themselves? Uh, that's a really great question. So I would, I would, I'll answer this two, twofold. So usually people are bringing us in to either optimize a component of their organization that's not functioning at the level they would like to, or modernize a component uh, in a very, for very similar reasons. So whether that's top of funnel, how are we generating more um, top of funnel interest in leads? How do we drive more deals from a sales process and methodology standpoint that's more custom to our business? Or how do we grow our current customer relationships? You know, those are really kind of the three things that you want to do in a sales and marketing organization. And we also have a LinkedIn strategy practice too, where because we feel like LinkedIn is such a core part of modern outbound um, and, and brand building right now. Um, and so, you know, that's usually what we're doing is they're bringing us in. You know, if you're an early stage company that's scaling, it's about there's different needs that you'll have from a playbook and sales technology and process structure that you'll need to get from five to your first 50 reps. And then when you go from five to a few hundred, there's a whole slew of other things, training, onboarding, hiring, et cetera, that start to break. And so people are bringing us in to really augment their current team at those critical stages to not just help them to understand what to do, because we've seen this thousands of times, but help them actually to get to that stage six, nine, 12, 24 months faster. Uh, and then with our larger clients, they're bringing us in because they're tired of the status quo. Maybe they've been doing something the same way with the same processes for years and years and years. And they realize, you know, things are, you know, we have, we have a client, very large client, global client, thousands of sellers. And, and the, the, the moniker they use is you fix the roof when, the, when it's sunny outside, not when it's raining. And so, you know, they're trying to stay the industry leader in their particular category. And so they want to, you know, modernize their sales competencies and the way they look at skill development and coaching. So it really is, you know, a mix of project and retainer work. And I think people look for to, to us when they're looking for not the same detail, not the same details they've heard time and time again. And they actually want someone who's vested in seeing them successful and the results and the outcomes versus focusing on deliverables, which I think a lot of consulting and training companies have a tendency to focus on the deliverables, not the outcomes. Makes sense. I, I want to come back a little bit more to, to what you do and the, the impacts you make in a few moments. I'd like to just spend a few minutes now exploring who you are. I, I, I understand you, you're living in Austin, right? Yep. Lucky, Austin, lucky, Texas. lucky you. That's all I say. I don't know <laughs> if you count your blessings every day that you wake up in Austin, one of the best places on this planet. Uh, we're lucky. And, and, and now with... Uh, the, the, um, the restrictions being removed in Texas, I don't know if you can appreciate how wonderful that is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. We moved down here from New York. We were in New York for six years in San Francisco before that. And 
I'm looking out now out of my window here and you know, I've got, we've got like an acre plus, I can probably see for a mile of just trees, but we're also, you know, 14 minutes from downtown. So it's 14 uh, minutes from sixth street, <laughs> 14 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, my, I'm, I'm too old to be out on sixth street, West sixth street these days, but less so. East I don't know sixth. that anybody's ever too old to be out. That's on sixth true. Street. That's true. Like when I have friends, Maybe come too to late, town, but not too old. <laughs> <laughs> when I have friends come to town, we might make an adventure there in a rainy, but yeah, well, and I have to admit, it's been, what, mid-90s since I was there. And you wouldn't I even recognize back. it then. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah, even yeah. recognize I, I, it. I do need to get back, and now I have every excuse because it's one of the few free states on the planet. Um, what did I want to ask? Yeah, so you didn't grow up there. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's where I was going. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up, what it was like, and, and how you ended up in sales. Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, I, I've been telling this story a lot more lately, which is which has been exciting for me too. So I, I was born in a 900 person town in Iowa called Primgar, um, and grew up in Iowa and Nebraska. I lived on a farm for two or three years, corn, um, and then moved to Kansas City when I was seven, and, and grew up in Missouri in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, so big uh, Chiefs and Royals fan. Uh, Royals are off to a good start. Our baseball team, so that makes me excited. Um, but and then went to college in southern Missouri at, at Missouri State University. So you're uh, Midwestern through and through. Mid Midwestern, but you know it's so interesting. I, I'll tell. I'll get, I'll get to this point about you know I I had never even been to New York until I was 30, and as soon as I saw New York and as soon as I touched down, I'm like, oh, I love this. Like I no nobody really believes that I'm like from. I mean they know because they see all the cheat all my like sports paraphernalia, but. I, I don't know if I have a typical Midwesterner. I may be a Missourian because Missouri, our, our slogan is the show me state, which means that we don't believe what you're going to say. You got to show us, right? Like we're not just going to take your lip service here. You know, you got to show us, buddy. Like what's that's, that's, that's a good mindset for sales. Yeah, yeah maybe that's what, what did it. So, so sales, so in college, in this, this was a massive look. And I, I, there's so many things I've done in my career. Some of them were deliberate, many of them not deliberate, but like I had an idea that it was the right thing that turned out to be the right thing. So in college, I worked nearly full-time. Some of the first jobs I had were in telemarketing. And so I, um, what, I, what I realized is I was able to take rejection and get uncomfortable at a much different degree than the average person. And these are people that maybe they've been doing the job for multiple years and I had just started, you know, three months in. And so I realized like, you know, people take rejection so bad, like they don't see it as like an opportunity. And I soaked up all the training that I was getting. And so I did that and I, you know, waited tables like a lot of people in college. And then so going out of college, I, you know, I wanted to work in sports, right? Who doesn't, right? You know, want to work in sports and, uh, you know, for you all, it's maybe the premier league or whatever, you know, your sport of choices. Uh, but I wanted to work in sports. And so, you know, some of the jobs that are hiring the most frequently for a, a sports team, I'm not a, a baseball scout or a football scout, um, is sales. And so I got an interview with the major league baseball team in, in Florida, the Tampa Bay Rays and, um, got the job and came out of the gates and destroyed my peers. <laughs> Like I went from my group sales role to a, to a senior account executive role in 16 months to where me and another guy were, were leading an inside sales team in my first job out of college. And it was because, guess what? I already had a year and a half. I came out of the gates. I already had a year and a half, two years experience. And so what I realized in that first job, I, I was very fortunate that the gentleman I mentioned, his name is Brian Ross. Uh, he also started turning me on to sales books. 
hey, here's what I'm reading, et cetera. And that started to peak. I, I've always, I've always really enjoyed reading and, you know, kind of in college, you, you're reading to, you know, get grades. And I, so I kind of picked back up reading. And, and what I realized is that sales, I really like it. It checks a lot of boxes. There's a psychology, a sociology, a, um, a science between, you know, the, the way that we interact and, and the small micro gestures, all of the things about sales check the box for me, both from an intellectual curiosity standpoint and my skill set. And so, you know, it's, I kind of was, was fortunate enough to fig, to find a profession that checked both those boxes. And now, you know, feel like I have some ideas on, you know, where, where we're headed. And, but, but that's, that's my, that's my early journey in sales and, and, you know, kind of how I, I got started. Where do you think you got your thick skin from? <sighs> that's a really good question. I, Cause I'm thinking back, I, I can almost picture some moments. Um, you know what it was? I, I was, I was you know, in my high school, we had almost 2000 students. I was the, it was me and this other guy. I was like the runner up for class, for class, like class, like class clown. They didn't call it that, but that's really what it was. So like, I always, you know, enjoyed like pushing the envelope a little bit, you know, <laughs> like I, I like to, you know, for me, there's, there's a black, a black and white line. Uh, but you know, sometimes there's a lot of gray in between. And so I think, you know, because I just, you know, it was a comfortable, you know, challenging authority and getting in front of status quo. I never got too nervous. Well, I mean, that's not true. Of course I got nervous uh, to some extent, but you know, I never thought I'm like, oh, I'm calling this person and I'm intruding on them. And oh my gosh, like, oh, they're, they're going to hate me. I, I just never let myself talk to myself like that. And instead I'm like, look, I've got value to add here and I'm calling them and I really feel like I can help them. And like, oh. if you truly believe in what you're selling, why are you so nervous to talk to people? You know, why are you so nervous to cold call people? If you can help them, why, you know, you should be excited to, to spread the good word, right? Mm. You know, mm. like, so, so that's kind of, that, that, that was it. I, I don't know if I had, it was the thick skin as much as my comfortable, my, my level of comfort with challenging authority and not ever feeling. I mean, I remember being 26, 25, 26 at CareerBuilder, I got out of sports after a few, a few roles and realized I like sales, but not, I like sales and sports, just not together. That, that's a whole other topic. Um, but I, I started to realize about that time, like that I just didn't look at, if you'd had 20 years of experience, I knew I, I was convinced delusional or not that I knew more about recruitment advertising and trends there than you did. If you were a CHRO at four, you know, 55 year old CHRO, I knew more about the trends in recruitment advertising because I studied the game than they did. Mm. And so I could sit down with someone who's 20, 30 years more than me and speak to them like a peer because I focused on, I went and took public speaking classes. I went and did these other things to, to, to make sure that I was prepared to have the level of conversations that I wanted to have as fast as humanly possible. Um, and so I think those are some of the trends over my career that I think helped me to excel. There's a few threads that I'm hearing. One is uh, certainly somebody who's driven to go further. Uh, somebody, if I, and if I think about what you said about, and I don't know you meant the, the term facetiously, the, the class clown, but we, we all know, I mean, I, there's, <laughs> you know there's an element I mean. of that there myself, um, where you do things for the attention yeah. more than anything else. And the attention can be a drug. And we all know now with social media, we can put ourselves out there, we can get instant attention. And you mentioned something else, which was 
It's certainly there was a lack of fear of authority, but maybe I know. By the way, I'm asking this question, not making yeah. a statement. Is there a certain disdain for the authority, or was it ju- uh, just a kind of a lack of fear? And I'm curious to know yeah. where that comes from. I don't know. That, that, so that's a really good question. So my mom had a nickname for me. It was Kaya, K-I-A. It, it stood for Know It All. <laughs> so I, 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 by the way, don't give your kid that nickname in, in retrospect. Um, but I don't know. I really feel like I was maybe a hardwired. You know, I was a, uh, the older sibling, but which actually usually sometimes means that they kind of damp, you know, kind of dampen to, you know, because there's younger siblings. Um, I, it was a theme throughout my life and it's gotten me in trouble too. Like, look, every time I've been fired is for this, also this exact reason, right? Like every time I've been fired, it's for the exact same reason. It's never been for job. I've never been fired for job performance. It's because of pushing too hard and not, you know, as you, you progress in your career, the skill sets that you need to be successful at the next and next, next role are different than the, than the ones that you're, you're in today. And so I think, one of the themes in my, my mid-career, you know, before I started my, my firm, was not was preparing myself skill-wise for the roles that were the next next, but not for the the you know the, the relationships across departments and things like that. So it's 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 it, this this persona the, my, my persona is a double-edged sword. It it is mm. very good at certain things, but also might have some sharp edges on it. Uh, as well, too, that's gotten me into plenty of, of trouble. Safe to say, then, that you're not a play-it-safe type. No, no, I'm not. I, the funny part is I kind of am around certain, like, I'm not, like, a risk-taker. I'm a calculated risk-taker, right? Like, I, yeah. I'm a very methodical thinker. Like, I will, like, people who work for me, and when they come to, to work at Scaled, their versions of a version one are, like, my versions of like, why are you like, this is not even a rough draft. So like, I'm such a prep and methodical person to where I'd say I'm a very calculated risk taker yeah. to some extent. Well, I mean, you have to be a risk taker to start your own business. But what you're saying is you're not reckless. I, I think my, I, what I would say is I think consistently in my career, my IQ is stronger than my EQ. My EQ, I can turn it on in spurts and it's why I was good at sales too. But, but also I'm, I think my EQ at the executive level was not where it needed to be at times in my career, you know, at the, at and, the and how did you know that? What was it that you saw? Sorry, Jake, I didn't well, mean to cut across you. No. What was it that you observed that tells you that? Um, well, you know, there, there's a really good, I, I got it. I have to figure out where I heard this for the first time. Cause it's such a, it's such, I've been using it now for years, but it's called, you know, relationship capital and relationship capital is like a bank. Every compliment, every, you know, good job, every whatever adds deposits. Every like, hey, what's going on? Shortness with somebody is, is the same as like four withdrawals. And I don't think I truly understood that concept, you know, as opposed to like, hey, you're here to do this role. I'm doing my role. I need to get what I need to get from you, you know? And, and so I, was, I made too many withdrawals and not enough deposits. And, and I think that st- I probably still, I, I, I'd still say I'm not good at this today. I think my team would say like, like it wouldn't hurt if Jake gave us more compliments or like, like acknowledge the good work that we're doing too. It's something I've improved over time. But I think that that concept about the, the relationship bank is something that I think about weekly, if not daily about, you know, how many, you know, how many withdrawals did I make today? 
versus deposits. Um, and it's, it's a really important thing to keep in mind, you know, as, as you grow and yeah. scale your career. It's interesting you're thinking of that way. It's almost like <laughs> I, I use an example of a friend of mine who's a sales director in the UK. And I was beside him one day at dinner and he had his team around him. And uh, he was writing, the, to his, somebody sent him an email and he takes out his phone and he's resp responding to it. And then when he's finished the email, before he press sends, he goes back up to the top. Let's say it was Mary he was writing to where it had, hi, Mary. And then he inserts the, how are you, question mark. <laughs> and he says, look, he says, I'm just a bottom line guy. Yeah. Same. I do the, do, that. That res, I do the I Now I've trained myself to do it for the, for 80%. Yeah. I am a 100% that person. That's exactly, yeah. a, it's a great way to put it. Yeah. And I just think that's a, that's a, that's a bottom line focus. You want to get there quickly and then you kind of, you backfill it and say, okay, but I also have to care. <laughs> and that's kind of thrown into the mix. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's, it's how a lot of driven people are. They, they look at where they're going and everything else is kind of in their peripheral vision. And it shows a high EQ, I think, to be able to recognize that and bring it in. I try to. Yeah, I yeah. think yeah, it's like there's an awareness of it, but the skill has to catch up at some point. <laughs> yeah. It'll get what? it's getting to the point. You know, there's also things it's like, like, I, you know, how do you start to create situations and know yourself enough to put yourself in situations yeah. that aren't going to uh, activate certain scenarios? Yeah. So, and for me, that's been putting time and distance. Like I've, I've always been a very like I want to solve problems now. And over the course of my life, I mean, gosh, it's made, it's, it's led to some very bad situations of just like, you know, when someone's in the wrong state to hear something, there's no point in talking about it. Right. Like, um, so I think there's just a lot of those rounding of, of corners, like I said, that continue to happen and without, mm -hmm. I, but, and the good part is I think it's without losing my edge from a passion and yeah. energy standpoint. Yeah. It's the harder thing. I always think is just managing your own emotions. It really is. Tell me, um, you were very successful. You look at your CV in terms of roles you've played in well-known organizations. What prompted you to go out and start your own company in a business that's bloody difficult? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to that. Um, you know, it goes back to some of the things we're talking about. You know, so as the, the VP of sales at Glassdoor, I took that company from zero to a million a month run rate in, you know, basically a year and you know, hired the first four, almost 60, what, 45, 50 people and realized, okay, I'm good at this. Like, you know, Ooh. I'm good at this. I can quickly build repeatable machines because I learned one at CareerBuilder, which was the job I had before that. CareerBuilder taught me the science of sales. It taught me a process. I've told this story before, but I'll just give a quick, I think it'll be helpful sure. for your audience. Um, but you know, I was uh, second to last in my training class uh, to make a deal. And, you know, here I am, I think I'm God's gift to sales and I'm struggling. <clears throat> and my director, my boss's boss sat me down and said, Jake, why aren't you reading the script? And, the, and what we put together, I said, oh, the script, come on, man. I don't read scripts. I'm Jake Dunlap. I've, I've, I know how to sell and read people and all this crap. Right. And he said, look, dude, do you think we're dumb? Do you think we train a thousand people on this? Cause it doesn't work. And like, it was the big, again, like the reason I talk about this story so much is like, it, it was, it was a massive light bulb moment in my whole, my, my life and career. And I said, well, no, okay. he's like, well then follow the process. I said, okay. And sure enough, I closed 60,000 in new business the next month and destroyed wow. it and got promoted to leadership two and a half months later. And 
to me, it was a eye-opening, this process of sales. So by, by learning the process, leading teams at CareerBuilder, then taking it and building it from scratch at a couple of different startups, you know, Glassdoor obviously, you know, was very successful, had a $1.2 billion exit a few years ago, and, um, and then uh, No Wait, which was acquired by Yelp. So I, I realized I love the work. I hate the politics. <laughs> like, I, I look, and I'm, it's not, it's not even like a hate. I'm just, it's just, it requires a lot of mental load for me to be extremely good at the work and the building and the foundations and the, and all the things that go into building a high performing lead generation, sales, growth machine and operations. Mm. Um, and, and I said, well, why don't I just, why am I doing this for other people? Like, why don't I just go do this for lots of companies? Because the role of a VP of sales at a fast growth tech company is short. And I'm like, man, is this my career now? I, I go, I get a job, I do a good job. And then every two to four years I get fired because they want the older person who's managed a bigger team. And I just saw that pattern over and over. And again, like goes back to that logical thinker. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to go get another VP of sales job and, and then in two years get fired, or I'm going to go do this thing. So to me, it was, I never thought I'd be an, I never thought I'd start my own company ever. I never thought I'd have, you know, if you would ask me 10 years, Hey, are you going to run a company where you have, you know, 30 people all over the world and, you know, working in various sales projects? No, oh, I'm not going to be an entrepreneur. Like I'm a sales leader, you know, and a revenue leader over time. So I feel like for me, it was the, it was a logical decision and, you know, the fallback was also, you know, very easy. Look, I can go get a VP of sales job tomorrow, making really good six figures. So mm. it was a low risk, logical decision. Yeah. I guess maybe we talk about risk, <laughs> calculated yeah. risk, uh, yeah. you know, and I talked to my wife about it. She's like, yeah, like it's going to be fine. And I got my first few clients in the first few months enough to kind of start, start it going. And I actually talked to one of our first clients. <laughs> I saw him at a conference like a few years ago. He's like, you know what, Jake, it wasn't that good. <laughs> I said, he's like, you, you definitely took on too many clients. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Right. Cause I'm out there selling, right. Not thinking about fulfillment and operations and all the stuff that I got to deal with now. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I've learned a lot in eight years and I think we've got a pretty, you know, pretty strong firm now. Yeah. Talk to me then about the, the biggest frustrations you've had in going from starting up the business to where you are now. What are some of the challenges you've had to overcome? I don't know if they're, ch ch I, I think there's a few mistakes that I've made along the way that, you know, I probably could have saved myself some headache, right? Um, and and, and the, the few I'll call out, because I think this is important for anyone. This is whether you're, look, you're a leader of a team um, or a division or whatever, you need to have a mission and a vision. And, and I feel like I had like a loose vision of what I wanted to do, but you know, I actually did a really good job of this when I was a sales manager and I learned this, you know, I had leadership training that taught me it. Like every team should have their own mission statement and own vision that reflects kind of the, the sales leaders like vision. And I don't think I did a good job of that. So, you know, the first, you know, three to four years, you know, it's like, Hey, is this sales related? Great. We'll do it. You know, is that, is that thing sales? Okay. We'll do it. It wasn't like, Hey, this is what we're trying to do. This is where we're going. And, and so I don't think I was very clear on that. And, and, and even if I pivoted, um, I probably would have been better off if I had stayed clear on that. Um, and, and then the next would be finance and operations. Again, I have an MBA um, and I got my MBA to, to develop a, a completely separate skill set outside of sales and get, you know, gave me such a better appreciation for different departments and other things too. Um, 
but my natural instinct is not my natural instinct is to is to put my sales hat on and be like you know what solves all cash flow problems close more deals <laughs> and and there there's, there came a point where it's like well yes and it's actually and to run them efficiently and track profitability and make sure you're making money um which you know I, I've, I had not done a good job at. And so I feel like over the last, candidly, we, we just hired kind of our, our first part-time CFO about a year, about a year ago, year, maybe a year and a few months ago. And it's, it's continuing, you know, we've had our two best quarters, consecutive quarters in company history in Q4 and Q1 of, you know, last year and this year. And I think a lot of it is we're, we're running the business more like a business versus, you know, and, and that's the, the tough part about building a professional services business is, how do you find ways to scale revenue without scaling costs? And it's why, you know, venture capital and other people hate <laughs> businesses like ours uh, because it's, it's difficult. But we found ways to do it, and, we're con and it's a big focus for us this year is to continue to find ways to do that. And so, you know, not documenting and creating processes along the way is just causes a lot of things once you start to grow and as you scale. And so, and, and in a professional services business, it's amplified because it's all people. So, uh, you know, versus a technology where you can get away with it for a little bit longer. So I think those, that's it. Mission and vision and documentation, the boring stuff, oh. you know, the spreadsheets, oh. the, the documents, the SLAs for a group of four people that you're like, why do we need this? Um, all those things as you grow and scale will hurt you and the business more than you understand or, or not, or make you do a lot of unfocused things and waste a lot of money if you're not clear on, on those, those details. Do you have to experience that pain to understand the value? Probably some people, yes. Some people, no. I mean, I, hopefully you listen to this as a, an individual and you don't just don't do it. Like what I'm telling you to do is set a, create a clear vision and make it big. Create a, hey, here's where I want to be, you know, 10, 3, 12. 10 years out, 3 years out, 12. There's an exercise you can Google called 12Q, which we did uh, last fall. And that's been monumental in, in helping me to get crystal clear on the vision, which is create the future sales. Um, mm. And for us, uh, yeah, I think you can, but you've got to be disciplined. You've got to not, again, I've talked about this before. Many points in my career, I did a great job of preparing for the next, next step in my career. And I think as being a CEO, I did not prepare as much. So, so steal from me and save yourself headache. <laughs> Build processes sooner than you think you need them, especially if you run into people business. You, you, you've clearly achieved a lot. What are you most proud of? I feel like from a company standpoint, and, and you know, look, as, as someone who owns the company, it's my started this, you know, this has been, you know, the, fir the first chapter of my life's work, right? I'm 40 years old, mm -hmm. so I kind of look at it as this is, you know, the first chapter. You know, I think we've built a, you know, I've actually built a business. I've built a, you know, thriving, profitable, yet growing business. It's not a lifestyle business. I'm not sitting here taking trips to, you know, wherever 24 seven. Um, I'm running the shit out of this thing. <laughs> and so I think I'm, when I sit back and look at where we are right now, I think I'm probably the most proud I've ever been of the business, both in the, both in the work that we're doing with customers and the feedback and the results that we're driving. I mean, through quarantine, through the pandemic, you know, we, the results we were able to drive in 2020 are fueling, you know, kind of our lead gen for this year. And so the work is high quality, the business is running efficiently. So 
um, that, you know, if I think individual moments, you know, look, some of my favorite moments are people that, you know, got promoted or, you know, went on to go get their MBA or, uh, you know, there's a guy I'll never forget, Chris Hayes, shout out Chris Hayes. Um, I was his leader. This is back, you know, 15 years ago. And I, I caught Chris and Chris, I don't think will mind me ta- to put, putting his, his laundry out there. I caught Chris making some fake dials because the, by the way, the call, the call, you know, kind of requirements we had were ridiculous. Every day was a hundred dials and two and a half hour talk time, two and a half hours of talk time and two meetings set. So we ran our own deals, mm-hmm. closed our own deals and managed our own accounts. Right. So like, you know, and so I caught him and I'm like, Chris, dude, you can't dial a fax machine. He's like, I quit. And he tried, he tried to walk out. I like chased him like, dude, do not quit. Like, let's talk about this. And I sat him down and then, you know, a year and a half later, he got promoted. And then a year you know, after that, he started at his own company. And now he's an entrepreneur and he's, he's running a really successful, you know, company now. And, you know, those are the moments in leadership that you look back and are like, I killed that one. Like I handled that perfectly. You know, like there's a lot of times I don't handle it perfectly, but that instance with that individual, I got Chris, I knew, I knew where he was from and I, I could relate to him and I wanted to see him successful. And, and yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while. I should probably hit him up, see what he's up to. But, but those are, I think those are some, some moments that happen few and far between that, that it is important to look back and say, Hey, I had a small part in part, part in this. Yeah. You cast your mind to the end of this decade, looking back from that vantage point, what are the kind of things you'd like to spend more time on? I want to spend more time. uh, Here's what you guys, I heard somebody say this, you know, if you're running a company, you can't run a company and also be this talking head. (laughs) I I think I do an okay, I do, I try to balance it as much as I can. And, um, you know, I really want to, you know, I want to, hopefully at the end of this decade, I've put out a few books. I've, um, you know, helped to shape the future of sales. I mean, I'm serious when I say that. I've always, I was very nervous. I was like, man, this sounds so egotistical to say, create the future of sales. But I really feel like I've got an opportunity to do it. You know, I've put in the work. I, I, I think I have a good sense for where the needle's moving. I get a chance to, I get a chance to see more plays than almost anyone in the world. I get a chance to see the inner workings of hundreds of companies every year. And it gives me a very unique vantage point as to what are the trends that I'm seeing in terms of how customers are interacting with different buyer types? How are people like, what are the new innovative things that other people are doing already? Where I'm like, wow, that's smart. Um, And so, you know, hopefully I've I've had a small thumbprint on a a impression or a role that millions of people go to work to and execute every day. And and if I can look back and say that I had a chance to, you know, change that to some extent for the good for everybody, both for customers and for sellers. And, you know, I've, you know, put my life some, some more and more of my lessons, not just in short form LinkedIn posts, but in a longer form, easier to digest format, then I'll feel pretty good about that. Funny you should say that. If you, if you don't mind, I'd like to comment on that because I have zero difficulty believing it. And I have seen your videos, I've seen some of your LinkedIn live sessions, and I've read some of your posts. And what strikes me about you that doesn't exist in 95% of most businesses that are out there in, in the sales industry is that you've got depth. You've got depth to you in terms of your understanding of sales and the challenges that organizations have. Uh, there, there are so many bullshit artists in the industry who are more entertainers than anything else. And to be honest, 
I fall into that category a little myself. <laughs> I, I like I to entertain you. too. I like to entertain. Well, no, there's, and there's nothing wrong with. There's a place for it, but in terms of making a, rather than entertaining, in terms of making a difference and changing the landscape, it requires people who roll up their sleeves and yeah. get stuck into the mechanics of how sales operations work, and that's where I see you. Uh, from everything I've seen, you do really, really well. Is to have that you have that insight into how sales works and how it needs to work to improve that so many on the periphery just don't have. I appreciate so that. Yeah, I say, I, please keep going on that because I, it, I think you go look back from the end of the decade, it'll be up there as one of the pioneers. I appreciate that, and and it goes back to what I said. Part of that is put in like my uh, somebody wrote a post actually on LinkedIn today. It was about where does your confidence come from? There was a question and he, ta he tagged me and a bunch of folks in it. And um, for me, it's always been knowledge. I like a study. I, I read, you know, I your mother was I right. new things and, and know it all. And, and well, that's true. I have it. It's called a Jake fact. A Jake fact is something that's 80% right. A hundred percent of the time. Um, but now I, now, now I'm old enough to know the difference between a fact fact and a Jake fact. Right. Um, but, but no, I do. I think that that's important that look, if you choose a profession and, and for a lot of you listening, it's probably sales. Are you treating this like a profession? Are you upping? Are you, are you trying to be the best of the best of the best? Or are you, cause if you're focused on the paycheck, it's never going to happen for you. And I was, I've never, ever, ever. I mean, I shouldn't say, I mean, look, I liked money, but I've always taken roles in my early career and at different points for the experience and the learning. I had a mentor session with a, a woman this morning and I told her the same thing. You are here to learn. A company is a place for you to learn and to grow, uh, not to just collect a paycheck. Use that experience, use it, be selfish. And I think too many people, they're not, they don't think about their career, they don't treat it like a profession, mm. you know, like, you, you know, you got to be serious about, you know, like, how do you expect extraordinary outcomes if you're not putting in extraordinary effort, you know, and I'm sure I stole that one uh, from something, but that's, that was a good one there. If you want to. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. In fact, in fact, speaking of posts, I, I picked this one up and it's a short post you wrote and I read it and I thought there's gold in that. And it's just, it, it, at one level, it sounds so simple, but on the level that there's a massive uh, truth in it. If you don't mind, I've got it here. Uh, yeah. He said, assume every... Now, by the way, I know we're going from 50,000 feet down to 5,000 uh, feet. Let's this do it. One. I like it. I like to get tactical. Yeah. So we'll swoop down. Uh, assume every first meeting is with the wrong person and your job is to get to the right place. I thought that was just genius. And in a soundbite, it says, this immediately changes your goal of the first meeting from discovery and information dump to fact-finding and positioning to get others involved. This will, uh, this will stop you from making assumptions about the role and force you to ask better questions on their role and organization structure. The goal of the first meeting to get to the next meeting or disqualify with the right group involved. And I think the first half of that, I think most people would get, but it was the idea of assuming that you're with the wrong people Yeah, is, is a powerful one. Yeah. I, 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 and again, that goes back to, I can almost, man, I've started having, like my brain was like, mentally tracing like where that came from and and i can kind of put myself in there's a few situations you know and i remember and again i was I'm pretty sure both this is that uh, my experience at career builder i was there for almost four years so it was very you know i learned a lot of my i think my 
sales like baseline sales acumen there. Um, there's a few, few scenarios that happened. One was I, I, I told myself I would, I would never not ask the tough questions. And, and what I realized too, is that the, the, whenever we go and work with companies, almost universally, the biggest questions that they never ask are, you know, Hey, I work with lots of VPs of operations. Usually that means they're more of, you know, back of the house finance, or sometimes they're more, you know, logistics front, you know, tell me a little bit about your two core areas of responsibility. That question is skipped in, I'm going to guess 95% of discovery. And so what happens, you start the whole process assuming, oh, no, 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 Richard's the guy. No, no, Richard. And, and then guess what? They actually, he handles this other thing. Okay, well, great. Let me ask you a few questions. I'm going to give you a high level. We actually work more on this. So would you mind making an intro to, who, who's the, per okay, that's Susan Smith. Fantastic. Would you mind making a quick intro? Let me, I'll give you a high level though, just to see if it's something you think would be interesting. And then I'm off the call in 15 minutes, right? Like, uh, and, and I, we don't, we get happier as we try to make people the people. And I think what I was able to do early in my career was to really, truly just let the chips fall. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to ask targeted questions. I'm going to, I'm going to dig deep, but I'm not trying to manipulate the situation to be something it's not. I'm not going to try to talk myself blue in the face and throw spaghetti at the wall to convince this person. Instead, I'm going to dig. I'm going to help them to do a little self-discovery. Hey, is there something here? But at the end of the day, I really viewed my role before the whole consultative thing was a thing as, as being that consultant. And so if you're a consultant, you know that the part, you know, the first part of a role is intake, you know? And, and so kind of naturally, again, like this wasn't like, you know, uh, planned, but I think that's probably why I was, you know, I'm good at consulting and why, you know, our team is good at consulting now um, is, is we take that same beginner's mindset. So I think, look, it's not about being rude and, and disqualifying somebody. It's just like, the person's role is their role. I, I, I'm not going to change that. Like, and I know, and, and the other thing that's always just baffled me is like, there's very few sales that are going to be one call closes. And you're going to know when those sales are. I, you know it. Like, it, there's, the, the signs are there. They've already got budget. Like, there's resource. Like, you know when you can talk on the phone and, and try to close in one call. Other than that, like, the goal of the first call is to get a meeting that more people who are going to need to sign off. A Gartner did a study. Average company of 100 to 500 people, seven people are involved. I, again, it goes back to the logic side of my brain. Just accept it. Stop fighting it. <laughs> like, cool. I'm going to have to talk to this person and then this person. That is sales. Why are you pushing back? Why are you trying to make this person the person or sell through a champion? It's a waste of time. I know these people are going to be involved. I know that they've got day jobs. And, and if I'm lucky, I'm priority 15. So I'm going to need to drive this process and get these people involved and tell this person a typical path. And I, I think I figured that out really early. But again, it was just through logical deduction. Like I would listen to a call just like a quarterback. You watch your game film. You see where you screwed up. And then you course correct. Right? Yeah. And I think people – and again, it goes back to taking this seriously. I wanted to be the best salesperson, period. And I – therefore, you can't do that if you aren't thinking about the logical things that your buyers are telling you. And so that, that comes from running thousands of sales calls – and just watching outcomes whenever you do this versus that. Yeah, I often wonder is it delayed gratification that people want fa results faster and not willing to put the work in? Um, paradoxically, it works against them. It ensures that they get fewer deals, but it's one of it's those- It's their boss, it's poor, it's poor leadership.
It's, it's leadership yeah. says, well, Jake, hey, tell him to do this. Dude. <laughs> okay. I, I, I hear you. And there's times when like, that's the good, the good advice. And there's other times where it's like, this is not 2005. Like, that's not mm. what should happen here. Let me slow, give me like, let me slow play this for two days. And mm. then I'm going to have a better reason to build affinity here. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I just feel like, um, we're, and, and I just also, I just don't think we're teaching these skills anymore. I see, yeah. I see these sales organizations, man, and the training and the consistent training is just not there. And, 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 and it's even worse for sales leaders. I was so lucky, so lucky. My first role as a leader, I mean, I did the inside sales team lead thing, but I, I got put through a leadership development program. I mean, I learned so much there. I'm like, oh my, oh wait, this is what you're supposed to do. It's mm. not taught, it's not born with, like there's mm. skills that you need to pick up and learn. And I feel like people, the, the easy way out is to, to do everything by feel. And it's not mm. that feel shouldn't be a part of your decision-making, but it shouldn't mm. be the main, well, it should, it should, it could be like the main disqualifier, but you know, you should also bring some logic into that argument too. I'm conscious, Jake, this is a leading question. Um, and I was just wondering if that training you talk about, that lack of effective training, is that down to just play it safe enablement types? Is it down to leadership within the organization? Why do you think, because it's a common theme, I hear it a yeah, lot. Yeah, of course. It's, it's the lack of right training. Where do you think it comes from? I think we have a chicken and egg problem right now in, in, in work. And the chicken and egg problem is we, we know intuitively that one of the big reasons that people stay at a company is that there's growth and, and opportunity. Um, but yet people are staying at companies shorter and shorter periods than ever before. And so what I think you have in this chicken and egg dilemma is, are you going to be a company that chooses to build these great training and ongoing development programs, knowing that you may not reap the return on these in only 20% of the case, because people aren't going to stay to actually where you get the rewards of that continued development? Or are you going to just accept it, offer less, focus on the day-to-day, -day, getting them good at their current job, and they leave, they leave. And so, you know, you have to choose what type of company you, you want to be. But I think a lot of companies do the, the latter subconsciously. They're like, well, yeah, these people are leaving every two years, as opposed to thinking about, you know, wouldn't it be like the grass, I've written, written many posts about the grass isn't greener, um, you know, uh, like people usually think it is. Um, but, but I think that that's the problem. I think the problem is we're not investing because we don't, we're, we're, we're nervous that people are going to leave as opposed to if they leave, they leave, but we're going to give them a hundred percent. And I think less and less companies are taking that stance right now. Sounds to me like it's a, it's a lack of vision and backbone. Uh, ease. It's simple. It's easier, right? To not have a leadership training program. Look at all these rapid growth tech companies, right? They go from 50 to hundreds of reps, no leadership development program. How insane is that? Yeah. These people have never led people before. <laughs> like you're promoting these people and you're not teaching them how to run a one-on-one, -on -one, how to coach, mm -hmm. how to have a performance. Con like it, it's crazy to me that we spend mm -hmm. all this time on how do you train reps? And then the, the people that have the ability to have a multiplier effect on those reps, which is the leadership, how little we invest on leadership development. It's, it's mm -hmm. baffling, you know, whereas like you're almost better off over investing in leadership under investing in the frontline training because the leader, if they're trained correctly, will help to level those people up. Makes so anyway. Sense. Jake, I'm conscious you need to leg it because you've got, you're facilitating a conference today. I so am. I'm gonna let you go. Final 30 second question is this, uh, when, when, when your time is done, they erect a statue in your honor and at the base of that statue, there's a little plaque about you 
what would you like it to say? Mm, I love this question. Kick some ass and took some names. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Jen, Jake Dunlap, thank you so much for being my guest today. I enjoyed it thoroughly. If you listening to this have enjoyed it as half as much as I have, please consider giving this podcast a review. It would really help us out. Jake Dunlap, thank you once again. Thank you. I enjoyed it. 